The great battles that you and I face, whether you realize it or not, and maybe you realize it as a, as a follower of Christ, that the battles that we fight play out on the battlefield of our mind. And it's so important that we understand this, and it's so important that we grasp this, because I think sometimes we don't realize that, that really following Jesus and really walking in faith we're not necessarily fighting against, uh, like Scripture tells us, that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against the principalities. We're fighting against these spiritual forces of darkness. But I'll say within ourselves, this battle happens on the battlefield of our mind. And we've talked about getting stuck in the trap of sin before, and this isn't in your notes, but we've talked about this, this whole idea of this process. Because we often end up in this place doing something that, that's crossing over the line, doing something that's sinful and then facing those consequences. And there's often what we do is we, we kind of sit here in this moment and we wonder, how did we get here? Like, how did, how did my marriage fall apart? Like, how did, how did that friendship end? How did I end up in this place where I, I was really close with God and now I feel so far away from Him? How is this happening? And we tend not to realize, we tend not to think, we tend not to acknowledge the fact that it all begins here. That this is where the battlefield is, and so we think it, that these things come into our minds, and, and what happens is, is if we don't, we don't take every thought captive, it begins to be a want in our lives. How did I get stuck in pornography? How did I get stuck in, the, in just desiring uh, this, these, these, this wealth or these other things? How did I get stuck in this, this place where we no longer as husband and wife love each other? How do I get to those places? And if you could rewind the tape back, you can begin to see, well, it began here. That it began with a thought. Where I decided that this really didn't matter. <laughs> like this is okay. That this is innocent. That this isn't a big deal. And it becomes a desire in our lives. And say, I mean, I kind of want it. And then ultimately you decide to do it. And then you pay for it. There are consequences to our actions. And there's times, even there are people in our culture today that don't think that they have to pay for it. They want to blame, and you maybe are here, that you want to blame other people for your problems. Well, if you would just, or you didn't just, instead of us understanding that really it began with us and it began up here. That we think it and then we want it and then we do it and we pay for it. That, that the battle really is fought on the battlefield of our minds. And that's why these scriptures we've looked at are so important. The Proverbs says we need to guard our hearts above all else for it is a source of life. That we need to decide that what happens in our minds really matters. You need to decide in this moment as a follower of Jesus that what I let into my heart, what I let into my mind is a big deal. Especially as kingdom people. That if you follow Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, if you have been born again and born into the kingdom, you should say that what happens in my mind really does matter. That we prize our relationship. We talked about this last week. That we should prize our relationship with the Lord to such high esteem that we looked at that example that uh, it's like the kingdom of God is like a, a man who finds his treasure in the, this treasure in the field. And he goes and he sells everything that he has so that he can buy that land. And I wonder in our own lives, do we treasure our relationship with the Lord to that extent? That we need to guard our hearts. We need to treasure. We need to take every, every thought captive to obey Christ. 
I think sometimes what we do and the, the trouble that we have and the struggles that we have is, is that we think that it doesn't really matter. That we allow these thoughts into our minds that kind of entertain us, kind of satisfy us, kind of meet our needs or what we think we need in that moment. Not thinking of the ramifications and the, the rippling out that that has for people in our lives and even in our own lives. Paul says that we would take every thought captive to obey Christ because what happens in your mind matters. And that has everything to do with today (laughs) because we're talking about worry. This week was tough for me. And I, I don't say it because it's just something to say that as I stand up here before you, often... The things that we talk about, whether I like it or not, God has taken me down these roads to talk about it. It's not just like academically I come up and let's talk about worry. No, I've walked through garbage this week in the process of studying God's word and the study of being prepared to talk about this. I struggle with worry. And I better not. I ought not. Is that a better way to say it? And I want you to see this, because this was a hard thing to hear this week, that worry can become sin when we choose fear over faith. I think sometimes we don't think about worry as sin. I'm just worried. Oh, I'm just, just worried. I'm just, I'm just worried. I'm just worried. I mean, how many times have you said, I'm just, I'm just worried about that? And if we're not careful, that will turn into a place where maybe we're paralyzed to do anything. If we're not careful, it will take us to a place of sin because, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but where I don't believe God is who he says he is. Because if I rightly see God for who he is, now granted, I will will put a little asterisk by this. I get that there are people that struggle with anxiety. I understand that. Trust me, I understand that. But there are times in our lives, there are seasons in our lives, there are moments in our lives where we know in that moment that we can choose faith over fear. And yet for some reason we we say, but I'm going to choose fear instead of faith. Jesus is going to give us the cure for worry, and it's really changing how we think about our Heavenly Father. I've said this before, that either we believe this, Or we don't. Either we believe that this is the word of God. Either we believe that the words contained in here are inspired words by the Holy Spirit to to give us instructions for life and really point us to the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Or we don't believe it. There's not middle ground here. And it's going to be becoming... It is becoming increasingly difficult to speak into the culture who believes in my truth over your truth or your truth over my truth. And really, it's not over either. You can have your truth and I can have my truth. And those two truths that we say are absolute truths can coexist in our culture today. And if that makes sense to you, then we need to talk because as we look at Scripture, we see that Jesus is the truth. And to think that we can have the truth and some other the truth 
It doesn't make sense and it doesn't compute. I wonder how, and I thought about this this week, I wonder how we're going to be able to have, um, even in court, I haven't, I haven't thought this whole process, so if it comes out garbled, I don't, it's just what came to mind today, or this week. Eventually, our court system is not going to work. If there's no absolute truth. If there's no truth, then you say, well, I know you, mur- you murdered 14 people, but you're sorry about it, and you really didn't mean it, and so, I mean, your truth is that, and, and I agree with your truth. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? That's going to come to this point where there's not going to be absolute truth. But there is truth, and the truth is the truth whether you believe it or not. Yes, I need something spiritual. Jesus seems kind of like a cool guy. I'll kind of add him into my life. Yeah, I'll pray whatever prayer you want to pray. We're good. But Jesus says, if any of you will come after me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It's no longer about you. The problem is when we get that when we get that upside down, when we get that backwards, we begin to worry about things that don't matter. We begin to have focuses on things that, that are not focusing on Christ and his kingdom. And it puts us in a place where we just are panicked about everything. And I'm not speaking out of like, hey everybody, I got this all figured out. <laughs> I don't worry about I there are times that I worry, and I'm telling you this week I was convicted about a lot of things where I gotta stop. Because either I believe that God is who he says he is, or I don't. And it's one thing for us to say, no, 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 I believe. But our words and our actions bear out what we truly believe. Jesus' words, as we've looked at last week, that he tells us that we need to invest in what's eternal, that we need to value the right treasure, we need to pursue the right devotion, we need to serve the right master, really, uh, this is the first thing in your notes underneath that, is that we need to invest in eternal things. And we made it pretty clear last week, there's really only two things that will exist for all eternity. What did we say that they were? Word of God and us. And yet we want to invest in everything else that doesn't matter. That we need to take these things seriously, especially as kingdom people, we need to invest in eternal things. And that's what Jesus was talking about last week. Stop stockpiling temporary stuff. Stop living for self. Stop living for this world. Start living for the next. Therefore, Jesus is going to say that we need to trust him with our needs. Let me pray for us as we get into the word here. And so, Father, I do pray that you would open up our eyes and our minds to your word. I pray, Lord, that where your word convicts our hearts, that we would 
be willing to hold those things loosely, that we'd be willing to lay those things down, because we want you to transform our hearts and our lives. So use your word to to speak to us, that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce our hearts and our lives. And I pray that that would happen in this moment. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 25. And Jesus has just got done saying that you need to value the right treasure. You need to pursue the right devotion. Remember talking about having this singular view. This, like not having a, like I'm looking at the world and I'm looking at, at Christ. But I'm, I'm looking at Christ as opposed to looking at the world. I need to serve the right master. And he says this word. He says, therefore. And so if you're studying scripture and you see the word therefore, what do you ask? What's the Therefore. Therefore, so we've said all this stuff, and then he says, therefore. And so what Jesus is saying is because you have the right focus, because you are pointed in the right direction, because you are lasered in on God's kingdom, therefore, because you are surrendered to the Lord. And that's the implication of the verses right before that, what Jesus has just got done saying. He says, therefore, I tell you, because of all of that, don't worry. (laughs) Thanks, Jesus. That's easy. Appreciate that. Next subject. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food in the body, more than clothing? It's a rhetorical question. Of course it is. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns that your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? What's the implied answer? Of course. Of course. I mean, I can imagine Jesus is teaching and he's like, Listen, you are so important to your heavenly Father. You are so important. As a matter of look, look at look at the birds. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't teaching in the classroom in a vacuum like hey, everybody. Uh, can you imagine a bird real quick? Yeah, how they, yeah. God loves you more than that. But I imagine in that moment he's he's speaking these things and he's like, I mean, look look at the birds. They don't sow or they don't reap. They don't gather, and yet God takes care of them. And he goes on. Aren't you worth more than they? Verse 27, can you add one moment to his lifespan? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? What's the implied answer? No. And why do you worry about your clothes? Observe, again, birds. Look, look at the birds. and Guys, just look at the flowers. Look, at, look all around us. Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he he do much more for you, you of little faith? What's the implication by that last statement? (laughs) That you're struggling. You guys are worried about things that don't matter. Look at the birds. God takes care of them. Look at the flowers. God takes care of it. Don't have, have bigger faith that God will take care of you. And so he says it again. He already said don't worry at the beginning in verse 25. Look at verse 31. So don't worry. Saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. For the Gentiles, the, the unbelievers eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided for you. Therefore, again, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself each day, has enough trouble of his own. What Jesus is saying is, kingdom people, God will take care of your needs. And if we had time right now to testify, you come up and say, let me tell you how God provided for our needs. Let me tell you what God did and when only God can do it in God's timing, that God provided for the needs of my family, of my life. I will tell you that there are stories that we have told again and again in this church and the time that we have been in this place, not in this morning, but the time that I've been here, that I could tell you stories about how just at the right time and just the right way at just the right amount God provided. And it wasn't a little thing like, man, we need like five bucks, <laughs> you know, large sums of money and God provided. I can't explain it. Anybody that's trying to do a budget would be like, uh, I don't know how to budget for that. But God knows what we need just when we need it. The Pharisees, the religious leaders are chasing after temporary things. Some of you are are being like religious leaders and Pharisees chasing after things that won't matter, that will rust and will decay. Jesus says you're, you're chasing after the wrong thing. In fact, Jesus says, follow me, trust me, surrender to me, and you will find true freedom and you'll try, I'll say the right words eventually, find true peace, you will find true life. And what he's saying in this section really is don't worry about temporary stuff. Some of you are so focused on what are we going to eat next. I mean, sometimes that's me if I'm being honest. But we shouldn't be anxious and worry about things like clothes that are going to wear out, that that bugs are going to eat up. We shouldn't worry about food which is going to rot away. We shouldn't worry about anything because God will provide what you need just at the time that you need it. What you're not hearing is that God will provide your wants as you want them. God will provide your needs as you need them. But God, don't you understand, like rent's due tomorrow. Yeah, just keep praying and keep waiting and keep trusting. Wait for the Lord. But God, you don't know. I understand. (laughs) I mean, sometimes we want to tell God how to be God, don't we? God, you just, if you would just do this thing. I mean, I got it figured out. If you would just, no, trust me. Wait for me. Jesus is saying he loves you more than birds, than flowers, than clothes, than anything. And he will take care of you as you trust him. And I know that's easy to say right here. We're in church, right? We, can, we talk about God and we say, yes, of course. It's another thing on a Monday afternoon to say the same thing. But it doesn't stop here. I don't, I don't say these things so that you will feel good in this moment, but that you would live your life according to what God says. And it doesn't take away your personal responsibility. I mean, sometimes I wonder. uh, People say, well, God will provide for my needs, so I'm going to go sit in my basement and play video games all day because, God, you got this. I mean, it doesn't take away our personal responsibility that we should work, that we should do the things that we should do, the things that we can do, that we should do our part, and God will do his part. And I know that it's easier said than done. But being anxious about things, being worrying about things becomes a choice often in our lives. And many of you, if not all of you, have faced that. One of the verses that I share with people often, they'll come to me and they'll say, some of you, I've texted these verses to you. I'm so worried right now. I'm so anxious right now. I'm struggling right now. 
with this situation, with this person, with, with this life situation. And I text this back to you. What Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, what does he say at the very beginning? And we've talked about this on a Sunday morning, but I want to be reminded because the problem is, is that we have short memories, don't we? We have seen God do some pretty amazing things in our lives. We have seen God come through in some, such big ways. But in that moment that we're facing that mountain that we can't even look past, we say, but God, where are you in this moment? And what does Paul say? Don't worry about anything. That doesn't give you latitude to say, yeah, yeah, what Paul's talking about, he didn't understand how uh, the corporate job that I have and how you need to worry about things. I mean, Paul didn't understand that as a parent. Paul didn't understand. This is the word of God speaking into your heart. And Paul is saying to you, ultimately the Lord is saying to you, don't worry about anything. But in everything. You see these words, right? Anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what is going to happen, the promise that we have, is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We often say that God may not calm the storm around you, but God will calm the storm within you. When you choose faith over fear, when you say, God, I don't understand why this is going on, why that happened, why the news that I got, the situation that I'm in, the relationship stuff that is happening, God, I don't understand that. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, God, I I wouldn't choose this, but I know you're going to use it. I let my requests be made known to God. And what does Paul say? That the peace of God, which surpasses under, I can't understand it, is going to guard my heart and my mind. Does that mean that as soon as I give it up, it's like, huh, I'm good. There are times where you're going to have to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. You have been in those seasons where you're like, God, please take it away. And you have that relief for the moment. You're like, but what about this? And it comes back and like, God, I need to give this back up to you. And I lay it on the altar. And then sometimes I want to pick it back up because I know how best to deal with that. And sometimes that's how we have identified with they say that this thing that makes me anxious is part of who I am. And I have to hold on to it or I don't know who I am anymore. In this moment, that seems irrational. But that's how we can live our lives. And we need to say, okay, God, I need, to, I need to lay this down and pick up who you say I am. That I wouldn't be identified by the, the struggles and be identified by the anxiety, but that I would be identified by you. So Jesus, he gives us this powerful, life-changing, revolutionary solution to worry. You ready for this? Like, this is worth the price of admission today. Thanks, Jesus. Appreciate it. Those of you that struggle with worry, you're like, yeah, that works, thanks. But Jesus says, don't worry. And the, the, the implication of what he's saying is it's just this constant, continuous sense. Stop worrying. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. But you don't worry. But you don't don't worry. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. It's gonna be okay. Let me tell you about a heavenly father who loves you, who is in control, who's got you. But but you don't stop. But if I could stop. 
I mean, that's, that's my conversation at times. And that's probably some of your conversation. But God, you don't... No, I understand. And in fact, I, I knew this day would come. And in fact, uh, I'm in control of it all. But you just don't... No, I understand. And Jesus' prescription is to do what? Stop. Stop worrying. And in essence, he encapsulates it down in verse 25. He says, don't worry about your life. Stop worrying. Don't worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. He says, life is more than these things. In fact, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. It's not a shock of like, oh, did you need that stuff? Oh, my bad, I was, I was in the Middle East hanging out. I didn't realize it. Oh, I was sleeping, sorry. We have a God who is well aware of who we are and our situation and our needs. Someone said this, that worry will certainly affect your life, but it won't add length to it. That Jesus says you can't add a single day, minute, hour. You can't add anything by if I just worry about this, then everything will be okay. Your life is dependent on God's sovereignty. Your life is dependent upon God's control. That freaks you out. And let me freak you out a little bit more. That none of you have control. We have an illusion of control. And hopefully some of you have self-control. But you can't add a single minute to your life. Like if I just worry about this thing, then things are going to be okay. That your life is literally in God's hands. Your days are numbered by the Lord and they are determined, hear this, before one of them came to be. And some of you say, well, that's not fair. You don't get to make the rules. I don't get to make the rules. We need to trust that God is in control. Let me give you some verses. These are in your notes. They may be too small to read. I'm learning 46 was a year for me where I had great eyes until 46. So, ugh, 46. I'm learning that I've got to make the font a little bigger, but hopefully you can read them. I'm going to give them to you here. Listen to these words. Let them sink in, especially if you're struggling with worry, especially if you're struggling with the Lord who is in control. See now that I alone am He. There is no God but me. I bring death and I give life. I wound and I heal. No one can rescue anyone from my power. We serve a holy God. We serve a God who is in control. We serve a just God. We serve a God who loves us, who is gracious toward us. Sometimes we want to take God's place, and we have to be careful with that. Listen to this verse. Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to be aware of the fact that some of you think, and we, the problem, I, I heard this phrase before that, 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 what's the right way to say it? That life, that's not the right, I'm going to say it, somebody's going to correct me, that life is wasted on the youth. Is there something like that? That as you get older, you realize what you had then, and then we think, oh, we're going to live forever, so we kind of live with this, with this attitude that it, it's going to be forever. And you, you realize when you get old, like 25 or 30 old, uh, you realize that, that, that it's a lot shorter than you realize then. That we would have the proper perspective about our lives, that we would number our days. And look at this verse. David is, is 
writing to the Lord, Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All the days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. I, I debated whether to say anything, and I'm going to say something. It's not a political statement. It is a biblical statement that we believe in life. We believe that that life at conception is life. That you are not an accident. That you are not a happenstance. That I believe that as a life comes to be, that you look at Psalm 139, and I talk to friends of mine that we don't, we're not on the same page. I say, what about this? What about that? And we walk away, still friends, but we don't agree. But if we truly believe that, that this unborn baby is a life, and I believe that, that God has everything to do with it. That it's not a mistake. And some of you have lived your life thinking, well, I was told that I was, or that I was an oops. Maybe to your parents you were an oops, but to the Lord you're never an oops. May we not lose sight of the fact that there is a sovereign God who is in control of life and of death. And that we shouldn't take it flippantly. We shouldn't be like, eh, whatever. But it's a big deal. And we should value life. All life. And something that hit me this week, I didn't come up with this. Someone summarized it this way, talking about worry is that a person's survival depends on divine sovereignty, not on human anxiety. I have lived in this space. God, if if you're not going to worry about it, I'm going to worry about it so that I can take care of it. I got it. You, You go do your thing, I'll do mine, and I'll just be worried about it. And we need to understand that your life depends, that you can stop breathing in this moment, and God is still good. And God still has a plan. And that that is the, the days that were written for you in your, in, in your life before time even began, before your life even began. Either we believe that God is good or we don't. Either we believe that our survival depends upon his sovereignty more than our anxiety or we don't. That God knows you, he knows your needs, he has determined your days, he knows the number of hairs on your head which changes often and for some of you, That's enough said. God really knows you. Uh, But if you ever think that you don't have value, if you ever think that you're a mistake, remember that God created you on purpose and for a purpose. Don't forget that. I think in our culture right now, we don't believe that God created us, that, that we are created on purpose. That if we can survive the womb, then maybe we have a chance. But really, if we do that, then, you know, good luck. You're not an accident. Kingdom people need to believe that. We need to stop worrying. We need to not worry. And I'll say this, too, and this is hard. This is one of the things that hit me this week, and I'll I'll keep telling you what hit me this week. That worry flows out of unbelief. You may not think about it that way. What I'm about to say, you might say, I don't believe that. But I will say that you believe it if you think about God this way. Meaning, 
If you, you are in a situation and you believe that God is not there, but you say, no, 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 I'm a kingdom person. I, I gave my life to Jesus. I, I prayed that he would forgive me of my sin and I've been born again, but he's not there. What's a fancy theological word for that? Maybe not theological, but religious word. That's atheism, right? God, I believe you're there. Now I don't believe you anymore. I don't believe that you're there. Or you may believe that God doesn't care which is really deism. Or you may believe that God is there, but he's not powerful enough to do anything about your situation. That that's finite deism. And those things begin to creep into our lives and cause us to worry because if we see God for who he really is, how he really is, it would change the way that we think. Right? If we believe that God is all-powerful, if we believe that God is sovereign over his creation, then whatever happens, if we believe that our days are numbered, if we believe that we are made on purpose and for a purpose, if we believe those things, we should not walk in worry. There are times in the battlefield of our mind that worry comes in, right? And I remember that scene from, uh, from the war room where she's praying. You watch the war room on Monday. She's like basically walking through her house saying, Devil, you have no place here. Get out of here. That should be our minds all the time. Because there's so many messages bombarding our hearts and our lives that you're not good enough, that you're a mistake, that, you're, that God would never forgive you. You've done this so many times. We begin to believe these lies and we have to say, Devil, there's no room for that here. But we allow those things and we begin to think about like, yeah, you know, that is, that is right. And that's, I, I'm not worthy. Yeah, you're not worthy. But God says you're worth it. Okay. <laughs> okay. We begin to believe lies that are, and we act like they're truths. That we say that we believe what Scripture says. We say that we believe that God loves us. We say that we believe that God is in control. But when we live and we, we act out a certain other thing that way, I'm telling you, that I believe that, that our actions really reveal what's in our hearts. That out of the overflow of the mouth, heart, the mouth speaks. So I may say in this instance, I believe this about God, but if my life doesn't bear it out on a consistent basis, then I, this is what I really believe. God, I believe you're in control, but I'm so worried about this. No, God, I believe that you're in control. And I'm going to keep laying it down. And I'm going to keep coming after this. And I'm going to keep talking to you about it because I just want to keep laying it down because I know that you got it. And I know that it's your plan. And I'm going to trust your plan. Do you see the difference? Lean into his presence to pray and then pray some more. Pray with thankfulness. Pray with praise. Though he slay me, yet I'll praise him. That we trust God in our weaknesses and that we would let go and that we would surrender. And ultimately, Jesus says that you would focus on God's kingdom. Tucked into this passage is verse 33, but look at verse 31. Jesus says for the second time, don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, the clothes, the food, the drinks, the, everything that you need, all the stuff that you need will be provided for you. That if you seek his kingdom first, 
Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself, that each day has enough trouble of its own. The key to not being anxious about stuff, the key to trusting God over wealth or really anything else, is to seek His kingdom and His righteousness first. God, what do you want for my life? God, I trust you. God, help me to walk and surrender to whatever the next step is for me. And I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to continue to trust you by your power and your strength and watch and provide. And so how do we seek his kingdom first? It really begins at the foot of the cross. Those of you that have been in church forever, you're like, yeah, I get that. Those of you that haven't been in church forever, maybe you hear for the first time that, that God sent his son, Jesus, to die in your place. This is the truth of the word of God, that there is no other way. That if you, re- if you read enough of scripture, you begin to see that you are not good. Even though the world will tell you that you are good. Even there are preachers out there that say they're preaching the Bible. And they will tell you that, you know, you're good. What we see in scripture very clearly is that none of us are good. There is no one righteous, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. The very fact that you may be seeking God and reaching out to God today is because God is drawing you to himself. And for those of you that are closed off, those of you like, yeah, I'm good, understand that, that you're in a spiritual battle. And our prayer for you is that God will help you to take a step toward him because that's what he wants and that's what we want. But that you respond to the gospel, you respond to the fact that Jesus died in your place and that you receive that free gift of his righteousness into your life, that your sin would be forgiven past, present, and future. That that's how we believe you are born again. And we believe that in that moment of being born again, that you receive the Holy Spirit of God that is, comes into your life, takes up residence in your life. That you are a new creation. That you would seek salvation to trust Christ as Savior and follow Him as Lord. And that you would walk in obedience. I think sometimes that's lost in us. They were like, yeah. When I was 14, I prayed that prayer, and yeah, we're good. That we walk in obedience. The kingdom people walk in obedience to the word, that we, that we allow the word into our lives, that we study it. And that's what we're talking about this whole past week, of just spending time with the Lord. Fasting, praying, prayer walks. All the things that we did are, are really habits for you to cultivate in your life, so that you say, yeah, this is not just something I do at church, this is something of who I am. And that I would memorize and I would learn and go from information to application that leads to transformation. Because that's what we want. That we would be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves, James says. And that we would ultimately be making disciples who make disciples. That's just not a catchphrase. We don't just say, some of you have the shirts on, like, love God, love people, make disciples. That's just not something cool that we say. That that should be our lives as followers of Jesus, as kingdom people. That we love God, that we love others, that we love people, and we make disciples. I love at the end of uh, uh, War Room that she had prayed that God would lead someone to her. I know it's a movie, but holy cow, I'm like, stop. And that God used her. And then what did she say at the end? Is she, man, it's just a movie. It's all right. I'll be all right. And she's in her prayer closet. What is she saying? Send me another one. Send me another one. May that be our heart and our prayer as followers of Jesus. God, send me another one that I can invest in, that I can see, uh, God, you do a work in them that only you can do. Send me another one. If that's not how your heart beats as a kingdom person, 
You need to reevaluate where you are in the kingdom. And I don't mean that somebody like, well, I'm not an evangelist, so I'm not a disciple. No, you are called to make disciples who make disciples. That's why we do real life discipleship. If you've never heard of that and you're a follower of Jesus, you need to do it. And if not this time, do it the next time. Uh, but do it. It's much more than just information like, hey, this is how you do it. Like this, it's about your life. John Fisher has said it very uh, eloquently. It's not a good way to say it. Very poignantly. That's a better way. Um, that it's like this operating system in the back of your mind for the rest of your life. That as I engage with people, as I am in my spheres of influence, I am intentionally looking for those Zacchaeuses in my life who are hungry for Jesus, who are faithful, available, and teachable, and says, I'm going to invest in that one. And God, I'll invest in the people that you bring before me, and I'm going to keep investing until you take them away, until that season's over, whatever it is. I mean, that's the heart of real-life discipleship, and that's the heart of discipleship. That we seek God's kingdom first, we surrender our lives at the cross, we surrender every day, we walk in obedience by his power, we walk in prayer, we make disciples. All these other things begin to kind of fade away, don't they? That I would seek his kingdom first, invest in the internal, and see what God does. And that you would take care of what only you can take care of, and that's walking in obedience. And God will take care of what God can take care of. And that's pretty much everything else. And you would stop worrying about the things that don't matter and start investing in the things that do.